Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Welcome to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast. This is part two of our first virtual fireside chat. The conversation affords seasoned leaders the opportunity to candidly reflect on leadership lessons and human performance principles resulting from the many wins and losses they've experienced. This conversation is hosted by LUF senior man Jim McNamara and features FDNY retired lieutenants Danny Murphy and Dennis Gordon. If you haven't listened to part one, I strongly suggest you go back and listen to it as this conversation picks up from where we left off. Without further delay, let's listen in. Danny, we're going to get back onto uh, bunker gear and the summer. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you prepared and how you dealt I, with it? I know we, me and Dennis talked about this as I got older. I would say just to try to keep my weight down, you know, change the way you train a little bit, you know, and uh, sometimes, you know, you just, you're banging your head against the wall. Like I, I would try to train by running in a, during a hot part of the day. And my friend used to say, you're out of your mind. All you're doing is wearing yourself out. I said, oh, I'm trying to, trying to heat acclimate. But they say, you, you, effectively, you really can't. You can't heat acclimate unless you go to a hot climate and stay there for, for three weeks. It's like, it changes like the properties of your red blood cells ability to carry oxygen. You can't do it. No matter how much you train, because you're in air conditioning about 80% of the time. So some of my, my training techniques were an error. You know, I just wore, my, wore myself out. What I tried to do is I tried to keep my weight down. And uh, you know, I know everybody does the 24s, but I talked to my, my 24 partners saying maybe in the real hot weather, let's just do straight tours, you know, just so, you know, you're not so, 24 is just, if, if you have a busy night, uh, it's, you, by the next next day, you're shot. If you're out all night, you run around all night, you go to a couple of fires, now by three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, uh, you're not you're not up for, like, let's go up and cut up a car or, or go out and, and hold an effective drill. But it's just trying to be a little smarter, watch what you eat, you know, watch what you drink, you know, I said like coffee. I wouldn't. I wouldn't drink the coffee in the morning. You know, because caffeine will sort of sort of dehydrate you. Try to drink as much water as you can, and train. This is we talked in the in the even before I went to rescue. We talked in the truck. It says you know you really you like professional athletes. You know, you your body is is how you make your living, and and the longer the the more you train and the better you take care of your body, the the longer you can you can do the job. I I saw guys you know like. One guy used to complain, oh, I'm all beat up. I'm like, how old are you, dude? He's, oh, I'm 42. I'm like, 42? I says, it's like, I'm, I'm 55. I says, you know, it's just, it's, it's what you, what you make of it. it says, but you just, you gotta, it's like anything else. You gotta, you gotta prepare. Sure. Let's switch topics now. We'll talk about slide decks. You both had the advantage of operating at thousands of fires over the course of your lengthy careers. And you built a significant number of slide decks. And you're also diligent about adding slide decks from fires and emergencies that you didn't operate, but you believed would offer an advantage. 
Did you have a system around mentally chronicling the fires and emergencies so that you could build slide decks? Uh, yeah, very much. Um, when I became a lieutenant, not until I was a lieutenant, you know, that much. But when I became a lieutenant and got assigned to 120, um, I realized that I was like way behind, you know, the other end of the curve with the guys because I had no information about the area, the company, about Brooklyn, you know, anything. And, um, you know, I wanted to catch up. And um, so the first thing I did was I bought a, a spiral notebook and uh, everything I noted that was unusual or that I should remember, I wrote down in this notebook. And I did this for over 10 years. I have like a stack of notebooks. And um, I would put the tickets in there. I would write something that unusual that happened. I would write what I did that I was proud of or, you know, that was successful. And I would write down everything that I wasn't happy about, every mistake I made, you know, um, things that I saw. I'd, and then I'd keep a lot of exceptions in there, things like, you know, buildings that had um, no fire escape or whatever. But, um, I mean, for me... I kept chronicling all this information and I did like that's the first thing I did when I got home after 24 I get a drink pull out the notebook and I did it at home you know I didn't want this thing at work because I wrote all my mistakes in there <laughs> and I wouldn't show it to anybody because people you because I didn't want anybody because a lot of my mistakes nobody saw but me so I didn't want <laughs> you know and and firemen will say otherwise but but everybody makes mistakes and you know sometimes we broadcast them sometimes we don't right yeah let's be honest well, I was gonna ask you if you ever drilled with it you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I kept this every job uh, all the unusual things and as soon as I got in you know and I'll tell you what happened over time I read it through it all the time and I'd get all the books out when I came off a of vacation or off of an extended medical leave and I just constantly, like Danny was saying, he did with the streets. I did this with, with every building, like driving down the street if we were going to get the meal, whatever. I'd look at a building and I'd say, okay, that one has, you know, no fire escape. That one has, uh, there's actually no interior stairs to the cellar. You know, like like all these, these these little things. We had a, that has, that H has separate wings that you can't access floor to, you know, across the floors except the first floor. Like all these little things. And I kept... It was just about repetition. It's like how I studied for lieutenant. You know, I, I, I was working, I was living in the Lower East Side, I worked in the Bronx, I had everything on index cards. And every time I got on the subway to work, I'd go through a pack of index cards, a question on the front, answer on the back. And I just kept doing that with all this information. It was a ton of information. But I'll tell you, after a couple of years, it really sticks through repetition. That's all it is, is this rote memory. And um, yeah, and then I found like I could, you know, do that and uh you know if i heard a box come in i go what would i do if i second do there what you know just constantly reviewing and going over and over and updating you know and just being honest about you know where i screwed up and chronicling that and seeing what i should have done differently we did the same <clears throat> not uh i don't ever really wrote anything down but we would uh you know, any, any fire we would go to, we would go back the next day with the rig and, you know, the other companies would be there. And you just, you go over, go over the fires you had, uh, you know, at that, at that rate, you know, when you're not, you weren't like the warriors where they're doing, you know, uh, 10, 10 fires a day, you can really absorb a little bit more, you know, like you can go over what everybody did at every 
every particular position and you know get a little bit you didn't have the ov but you learned what the ov did because you went over positions so the ones the fires that you had you would you would go over it and then that's you know it stay it sticks in your brain a little a little better when you do have a similar situation or another challenge like that and the jobs that you didn't have we would kind of go and and look over them and kind of throw scenarios at each other we did it when we had to do bi we did you that know, too. Every job was critique. We would just the officers would send us up. We go. We'd sit on a roof and disappear. You know, we just we'd sit on a roof like Graham Avenue or Humboldt Street and just look, look at the neighborhood and say, okay, that building fires out the top floor of that building. You can see there's no rear fire escape. What are you doing near the OV? This is and then just kind of go over situations like that. So then when you do have the situations, you know, you do have a little bit more of uh, work and knowledge. I know they. Some of the techniques they talk about, like visualization, you know, even if you're not going to fires, you know, you try to visualize it. But we sort of did it, did it a little bit differently. You know, we would look at buildings and I don't know how many times you're, you're sitting in a rig and you're coming back and the guy just looks at that building. He goes, all right, that building right there fires out those two windows. You know, where, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You know, and so that's why I think I felt that that really, really helped us you know, uh, when we were younger firemen. I've talked to some guys, you know, even in the slower, the slower era, it's, there's no reason you can't be, you really, really still be really at the top of your game, even if, if it is slow. And I would use this example, like when I, w when I was in Rescue 2 in 91 to 95, it says, you know, we had some really, really busy years. You could go to, we went to a fire uh, by 123, and somebody made a grab, and before we even, talked about it, we were on the rig, we caught a job down by 157. And from there, we went to here, a car in the water, something else, this, that, the other. Went home in the morning, the day tour went out the door, they went to a couple of fires, come back for the second night tour. We never even talked about that fire. Like if there was a problem or, or uh, you know, you encountered something, tactics, there was no, the rear, rear fire escape was chained, there was a dog in the exposure, you couldn't get to the rear. We didn't even go over it. And then you take the 80s when it was not, not busy like that. You go after, go out after a fire, and the next day we we would go there, and, and the rigs would be there from you know 104 to 11 or 111 would be there. You go over, and you could kind of absorb a little bit more from it. And so you're saying you can actually, if you had a problem, you could share it with him, which you wouldn't in the busy days. You know, you're going a lot of fires, but you're not not getting as much out of it as you can. Then you take uh, a, a trench rescue. A trench rescue, a confined space, you know, high angle rope rescue. Like, how many, how many of those do we do in the city of New York? You know, you can count them. But are we good at it? Because yeah, they're, they're very good at it. Because when they get it, now the rescue school is going to come out. There's going to be a 200 slide presentation. They're going to go over it in 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 great detail. And you can, you can, you can still learn as much as you can. And even if you don't have anything, this is when you just pick a building, pick a building, and go out and rip it apart you know just i mean figuratively really you know go over there and say okay where's the first line go where's the roof man go it's just okay theoretical situations they were constantly going back and forth across the rig mm -hmm. which i i think that's really helped form your career you know it's first of all your mind's in the game all of the time because if he asks you a question i wasn't paying attention you know it's just that would be another story. But, you know, you're just, you're preparing all the time. And even if it's not as busy, you're kind of building that, what they refer to today as a slide deck. Yeah. 
And it's just you try and uh, get as much working knowledge as you can, and you could do it really whenever. You know, we did. I thought you meant on a personal level, um, you know, like your slide deck. But uh, but just like him, I mean, our policy was like hard and fast about critiquing um, after everything. I mean, really, there was even if it was just like a routine sort of thing, emergency. There was still something to pick up, you know, and. Every job, you know, in 120, we, we met behind the rig. This was the SOP. You know, we talked about it, and uh, I would go first, and I would talk about what I could have done differently to make guys comfortable with talking about their mistakes, you know, and then they would. And then we'd go through it piece by piece. You know, guys might be in a rush to get back, but I'm like, well, we got a probe here. OV, you know, the OV would walk them to the rear, how we got there. The roof man, I mean, it might take an hour. Some guys didn't like it. But you know, in, in the long run, it was it was building their you know their experience, to, and uh, yeah, just that constantly. Sure, and we did all of those things, and then as the neighborhood started to change, well, technology started to be a benefit. Uh, the arrival of the internet. First, we had still pictures, and then we started to get uh, the buff videos, which you could play when you had uh, CDs and DVDs. Right now, there's just an enormous amount of from the Citizen app to YouTube. There's oh, an incredible. Oh, yeah, they, you, you see the building on on your phone. We didn't really have that. No, and, and you know, I retired only six years ago. Yeah. But with that technology, it wasn't that common. You know, the it's a tremendous tool. It's also something of a burden to the modern-day firefighter. Jason likes to call that the, the, the citizen effect. Yeah. You know, watching yourself on primetime TV is great if you're <laughs> doing well. It's, it's not if you're, you know, if you're not performing well. Um, but ultimately, VR, you know, virtual reality, can be an enormous tool uh, for firefighting. It's only a matter of time before that comes. You know, the Uberman Lab in Stanford does VR that you can put you in a shark tank and the biometric scores to match it. You know, but these tools, VR will eventually come to us, but even now watching video, Leadership Under Fire is about to launch a film room, which will, give, will show you the different types of fires and, and, and instruct you, even help you, you know, to learn from this. It's an incredible tool. I always give the example of, of Chris Conklin, who was a young fireman in 26. He's now a lieutenant in 302. Terrific young kid, an incredible student. He's on a fire escape in a, in a building on the, on the east side, and he does everything you're supposed to do in a fire that's going south. He reads the smoke, gets himself into a safe position. First time he was ever on a fire escape. If he had lobbed himself into that building, you know, he might not have made it, all because of the, the slide decks that he built sitting in a firehouse kitchen mm -hmm. table. You know, tremendous tools. Um, the and if your commitment is there, but also understanding what slide decks are. The brain hates uncertainty, right? So if you have a slide deck, a picture of something, it actually helps you. Two months ago, uh, my young guys in 58 had a job on 7th Avenue, fire blowing through the peep thrown through the people. Luck would have it, we were talking about it the night before. Now, that's not that bad. It looks really cool, but it's not that bad. One of the guys on the nozzle team was wearing a whoop. We have a, a whoop, one of these devices that measures your heart rate. Oh. We have his heart rate mount during that period. He's as calm as can be because he saw it and he knew what to expect. Right. So giving people these slide decks helps to keep that that operational stress at, at bay. It's a tremendous tool. It's what separated the great ones. Right. The great ones had slide decks that were enormous. Nothing is as good as being out of fire. 
but we can really close the gap utilizing technology and hard work to build slide decks for young young firefighters today. We can make them that much better. We're going to shift gears again. We talk about now 9-11 and the aftermath. You both had 20 years on the job on that September morning. You lost close friends, and instead of retiring, you continued to lead in some of the job's most active companies for another 15 years. What do you think we lost as a result of 9-11 that could never be regained? Well, you were in SUC, so you should definitely well, answer that. I remember hearing right after that uh, 2,800 guys had their papers in, like uh, immediately after 9-11. Uh, after but uh, I, I, I think everybody thought, like, oh, I don't know what the hell is going on. Like, are we at war? Or like, what's, is this going to be a regular occurrence? You know, but I remember thinking, like, well, what would happen if all of the senior guys would leave? You know, we had 20 years. This is right. I wasn't really, I never really thought of retiring, you know. But uh, I said, well, what's going to happen if all, all the senior guys leave? This is, you know, they, we're kind of, we're kind of it, you know, with the, with the senior, senior crew. And, uh, I says, you know, I retiring never really uh, crossed my mind, you know. But I think that the the fire department is a constant. You're constantly guy, losing guys and, and getting new guys, and you guys retire, and it, it's tough to replace. I'd say, in an hour, the fire department, like it, it like lost ten years. Like Downey would have retired, and uh, you know. Mohica would have retired, and there's a ton of guys would that would have retired, and and you replaced them. But losing all of those guys in that in that amount of time was uh, was really a, a blow, especially some of the personalities we lost. You know, and, and some of the guys that we lost were the guys that would have rebuilt rebuilt the fire department. But uh, I don't know. I think that we even when you look at like politically, it's just like the, the city was never never better after 9-11, just the way people came together and the people on the job came came together to, to kind of respond. And, uh, you know, a lot of good things came out of it, a lot of technology, a lot of uh, added training came out of it. You know, uh, they rebuilt, rebuilt SOC. You know, guys like guys like Dennis, you know, came into, uh, into SOC, you know, brought in, bringing in a ton of experience. Morris, you know, was, uh, had a million years. You know, he went down to rescue one. I was studying for captain. I says, yeah, they asked me to go back. I says, I told, uh, I told Cassano at the, at the site, because I like to go back to rescue too. I says, chief, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go to, I'll go to an engine company in Low Manhattan if you want. He goes, no, I'd like you to go back to rescue too. I said, okay. He says, just so we're clear, I really don't want to go to an engine in Low Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that was good. But it did. I mean, every, everybody kind of rose to the occasion and, and everybody, everybody pitched in and, and things came back. The, the, the guys in the shops did like an unbelievable job replacing 90, 90 rigs. I mean, like everybody just kind of stepped up. It was like a family. The fire department is a family, but everybody just kind of stepped up like a, like a family and, and as, as just assumed whatever role they needed to do. There was a lieutenant, Neil Farrow was in 227. He got promoted to captain. They just said, stay there. You know, it's just things were a little bit out of the ordinary, but they're saying that's what they need. That good, that place is good. Leave them, and they went on to uh, to other things. So I, I would say that's that's what I remember. You know that um, you came out with things like the electronic riding lists. You know the mask tracking devices, technology that helps guys do their do their job better. But you know when you think of some of the guys that we 
we lost. I said it's just there's just there's no replacing no replacing those More guys. Than Four thousand years of experience in one and, shot. And uh, I say the personalities. There's just no there's no replacing replacing those. I really think the city was at at its best. You know, just the way the way people yeah, treated us. You, you know, oh, it was. Oh, I mean, I lived in the city. Yeah, and, and, I mean. I remember going down to the I was site. Like the you know, king people the making the sign of the cross when the rigs rigs go past. Now they're they're throwing water on cops now. So it's I don't know. It was uh, you know I think that most guys said you 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 couldn't leave the fire department in, in like in its greatest hour hour of need. You know so for me it was never never a thought. The thing that really uh, bothers me about it is uh, how many guys are dying still. Uh, and the long-term injuries, in, the illness, and how little's known about it, really, um, and how every other month I'm seeing online, you know, getting an email about a line of duty funeral, um, like that. That's really like it's not. It wasn't over with 343. You know, that that's really disturbing to me. Um, you know, I think you probably felt it a lot more, you know, than someone in, in one of the regular companies who wasn't, you know, uh, in Manhattan, for example, or the outlying companies. I mean, I was working that day, but by the time we got there, it was the tower, It was right after they both had been down. But I think about SOC, that every rescue company was every single guy on duty, you know, including my best friend on the job, uh, Brian Hickey, who wasn't even working in his own company, He'd just come back from Medical Austin. extended medical yeah. leave. Brian knew Brian since you know high school, uh, but um, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think they uh, they. I think like humans, you just rise to the occasion, really, and and it, they did. I mean, they rebuilt, they rebuilt sock, you know, uh, the best they could, and and. Uh, I mean, the know, guys who survived, like what the guys did you know, is like beyond belief, the guys who were still like, between working, you know, at, at ground zero, endlessly, and manning the companies, right, with, you know, missing hundreds of people, like, I don't even know how we got through that period, you know, and guys like, no one complained, guys were working 24, 48, 72 hours straight at the firehouse, then going down, you know, searching for their buddies, like, I mean, the power, <laughs> really, and the endurance of, like, the FDNY was, it was unbelievable to me to watch that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely think it, it built a lot of unity, too. Like, yeah. like, not just in the city, but in the ranks, you know. Everybody got tighter, you know, like, uh, and I lived it, I lived in the city, you know, I did then, you know, and it was, the city was a very different place. Like, all, all the minor squabbles between people, that was, like, all gone. We were all, like, one... Unfortunately, it didn't last, but but for a short while, we were actually, I imagine this is what it was like after the end of World War II, yeah. right? When everybody was together on the yeah. same page and all the little differences didn't matter because we were all on the same team right now, you know? And that, I mean, that was like, make beautiful, but... Uh, yeah, it didn't last. It didn't no. last. Yeah. No, but to lose all of that experience, uh, and we're almost at another point now, in, in firehouses in the city, you're lucky if you have two or three guys who are on the job then. And what scares me to death is that not only are we losing connection to the great ones, we're losing connection to those who were on the job that day 
and who lived through this. Um, who's going to tell the stories? Like, we're a job. We are what we are because we pass the stories down from generation to generation. You know, and, and uh, I think the young ones today are great, but if, you, if you're not grounded in that connection of, of where we came from and who these people were who built mm -hmm. this thing, um, it's a trying time. Um, and it's been a very trying 20 years, and it's impossible to believe that 20 it was years. 20 years ago. Yeah, I, can't, I can't believe that. The whole thing is surreal to me, to tell yeah. you the truth. I'm going to switch gears on this question now and say, in what ways do you think the FDNY positively improved as a result of this event? Well, what Danny said, yeah, he said the like technology. The technology, the equipment, the, uh, the training, you know, the response, the responses, uh, you know, so you know who's who's responding where. And, uh, I, you know, the guys that run the job, I, they they know what they're doing and they, they do a really a really good job. It's it's tough because, you, you you know, like you can't keep everybody happy. There's not a ton of work around. But when you look at some of the changes that have come across, you know, when I, you look at the rigs today, the radios, some of the equipment, every, every company in the city today, every truck company in the city today has more technical rescue equipment than Rescue 2 did when I went there in 1991. Every, every company, we, we didn't have ropes on the rig in Rescue 2. We had a second roof rope and we had a, uh, a pre-rig four to one uh, roll glist, a tripod like for bringing a guy line of sight out of a, uh, uh, out of a manhole or something. Now every truck company has ropes, every truck company has hearse tool cutters, spreaders, rams, airbags, meters, we had two. We had an explosive meter and we had an, uh, an oxygen indicator, that was it. We didn't even have a CO detector on the rig. We didn't have explosive, uh, you know, explosive gas, just the explosive meter. So every truck company today has more equipment than we had. You know, so the training, this is the training that they, they do. It's like less distance between like the top A truck and the bottom C trucks because everybody's got the same amount of equipment. And rescue, they always said when you go to rescue, it's, it's just you're, you're training all day long because of all the equipment that you have and the equipment that you don't use that often. And uh, now we're, all of the truck companies have it. So the, the, the leap that the, the fire department has made in the, in the last 20 years is probably the biggest leap that it's really ever made. You know, when you start to think about the equipment and uh, that's why probably school was six weeks for us. Now it's, you know, you have so much equipment, you have to train a guy how to use bunker gear. You know, we were wearing dungarees and a, and a coat, so. That's, uh, that's what I would say that what came that they really made some pretty big improvements as far as training and equipment. When we were young, a day at the Rock was a joke. You know, we'd go there and what do you want to do today? Well, we don't really want to do anything today. Like, can we get out of here? You know, you'd leave and it was some guy hiding at the Rock, you know, 40 years ago. Now it's, it's, a, it's a beehive. They built all those, all sorts of simulators. There's a rescue school there now that has uh, confined space rest, uh, simulators, high-angle rope setups, you know, uh, uh, trench jobs. They have everything set up. They, uh, it's really, really, really come a long way. Did you have something in mind, though, um, what you felt was the positive? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm missing I, an angle to this. I would uh, piggyback <clears throat> on a lot of what Danny said, but uh, so we've gotten all this gear, you know, in, in, in the field units. But we've never understood what the impact is of having all of this gear. You know, when we got bunker gear, if you were a, 
3,000 run truck, you were busy. If you were a 4,000 run engine, you were killing it. Now those numbers, you know, you're, 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 you're a slow unit. You know, run totals have exploded. Um, the gear exploded. We've never had any understanding of human factors when these decisions were made. We received all of this protective gear, you know, with the very uh, best of intentions. But never at any time was there an understanding of what the impacts are for wearing this. That will come over time, particularly as, as quantifiable data comes online that illustrates the, the real impacts of these things. The reality is, especially for someone who runs in, an act, in a company like mine, um, all this well-intentioned gear is killing us. I mean... PSS, what do you feel about that? <sighs> That's a whole nother session. I'll say, you know, the, the problem is when, when there's emotion attached to things, we really can't engage in, in, in rigorous discussion, especially when there's, was, there's emotion of, of brothers are lost. Um, my hips are shot. Um, You're asymmetrical. With that. Yeah. Uh, so that, but that's the thing. Like, if you quantify this damage, you know, then you, you can make better decisions. And ultimately what, what science is about is, is is providing senior leaders with this information so they can make a balance between the maximum protection model that they've developed now and speed and efficiency. We've never been slower and we, we've never been more burdened. Um, it's been very difficult. You talk about training guys and, and teaching them. It's even harder to train a guy in, in a field unit. There have been 60 guys that have come to 26 truck during my tenure, 60. And that doesn't include the engine. And you know, it's, it's, look, you do this because you love this and because, you know, this is what we do. Um, but it's, it's taken a toll on a lot of those guys that are still left. It really has. It's been a, it's been a long journey. Uh, but, you know, you, if you're broken in riding this job, it's driven into your skull to try and leave this thing better than the way you found it. And, and it's harder to do that. I mean, these, these young men and women today, and I say this every time I speak, are amazing. I mean, they're absolutely amazing. If you put them in the war years, they'd be as good as anyone. Um, and and they, they'd love what they do. But man, we just, we're saddling with a lot of stuff. We don't have the time to train like we should. If you're a 5,000 run truck, or 6,000 run engine, how are you training? You know, we don't understand these things, but the hope is over time, this does change because you have leadership that does, you know, it, it's a balance. Um, and part of what leadership under fire hopes to do is provide those leaders with a better understanding because what we're doing is however well-intentioned it is, it's got some downside. And, and you know, that's my, that's my view from, from my seat. Um, and we don't hear that enough. I think another thing coming out of 9-11, we became sock-centric. Pre-9-11, especially when e EMS came in, we became truck-centric. And we lost those pure die-in-the-wool engine guys. The engine guys who thought the truck was nothing more than a broom to sweep up. We lost those guys. You know, the job is not a truck or a rescue squad. It is an engine. We lost those guys. You know, and that's a problem. Yeah. You know, your your most important unit in any fire service is an engine. But now we're we're creating a condition where it's becoming the place with the most junior firefighters, officers, and chauffeurs. It's a stepping stone. It's yeah, and that's not a good no. that's not a good situation.
Guys, to tell you that the engines, I mean, ERS kind of was the beginning of it. When they started with the ERS, no contact. Like 108 went from 6,000 runs down to 4,000 runs because ERS, no contact, we ran in with nine different engine companies. So every one of those nine engines, every ERS, no contact, would be another run for the truck without one single more fire, you know, ever. But the engines are getting hammered with the ERS. So ERS was one where guys were starting, when they get promoted, they want to they want to go to an engine, they want to go to a, a truck because they didn't want to do the ERS. And then EMS, it took another yeah. another step down where guys didn't want to go to, you don't want to go to a, an engine, you want to go to a, a, a truck. Yeah. And in some companies, that disparity between engine runs and truck runs is significant, sometimes almost 1,500 to 2,000 runs. Um, the plight of the engine is, is arguably one of the issues uh, for the fire department moving forward. I don't know how you solve that, but the first part of, of problem solving is problem identification. Let's switch gear again, guys, and we'll talk about retirement. You both had tremendous love for the job, the mission, and the people. What was the transition from the FDNY to retirement like? Want to go first? Well, you know, it well, you, was reti easy. you retired first. So. I was going to say it was easier because of people like you, because <laughs> we talked a lot. Like, uh, very difficult. You know, it wasn't a decision I, I made. You know, I just had no choice for, you know, health reasons. Um, you know, so I found the most helpful thing to me was to talk to, to guys, you know, and I had buddies who were going through this, you know, Mike Elgano, yeah. you know, Joe. Gandiello, my captain, like we all were retiring around the same time. And, you know, what? we just kept talking to each other about it and expressing, you know, we I mean, everything, everything good comes to an end. You know, everything you love, you're going to not have one day. That's a fact of life. Uh, the acceptance is not it's easier said than done. Right. Um, well, I, I I mean, I still dream literally in, when I'm sleeping about the job and being at jobs. And I have like this nightmarish dream where I can't find my gear and, everybody, and I can't get everybody my, and I can't like that. get my hand through this yeah. like the liners pulled out and I'm trying to get my coat in and it's like a job and everybody's going and like, like I still have this this crazy job everybody dream. everybody tells you, you know that. and you didn't know you don't know it until somebody I had a friend of mine who retired <laughs> 10 years and I says you having the dreams and he says no the next time I see him, he's like, thanks a lot. <laughs> and you know what? Social media makes it impossible to retire. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I look at Instagram, I look at Facebook, I look at YouTube, and I just keep reliving the job. I keep watching fires and keep seeing this guy and keep, and now it's like national, you know, I'm watching Candom, I'm watching <laughs> Hoboken, I'm watching LA, like LA guys climbing up ladders and running off ladders, you know, it's like, so I can't get away, you know, it's like before the internet, a guy retired in like, he opened the Daily News. Maybe there was a fire in there once a week, and that it was over. And he hung out with his retired buddies, having their you know beer or playing golf or whatever. <laughs> and now it's like, it's like I'm slammed, you know, because I'm like a social media addict to some respect. And uh, yeah, so I gotta say honestly, but you're not like a big social media guy. No, no, but I. I Do you have a cell phone? Yeah, it's a. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I have opposing thumbs. No, we just thought you were a moron. We didn't know you knew how to turn it on. <laughs> I, di I didn't. I didn't have the trouble of retiring that I thought I was gonna. I thought I was gonna miss it 
a, a whole lot more. I thought that the first time I had to say to somebody, I used to be a fireman, was going to be. But honestly, like we worked with, you know, I know you want to talk about Vidge, but Vidge was 60 when he retired. And he when he when he left, he said, the fire floor is no place for a 60-year-old man. And I started to feel it towards towards the end that I got to really be careful because I'm getting old. And these kids, he says, you got kids like, like uh, Jason, he says he's running 52 miles in the desert, and Josh, he says these guys are all like they're uh, physical, you know, specimens. I'm saying, you're kidding yourself if you think at your age you can keep up with these younger guys. And I, I didn't want to keep up. You know, I wanted, I wanted to try to be, be a step ahead. But I think <laughs> the reason I don't miss it is because I never let anybody down. Like I never, I never came back with an empty seat on a rig which is a big thing, and I never let anybody down, and I think if I stayed any longer, I, I probably would have. I have, you know, everybody's got little I medical issues. I, and you know what? I, I, I worked, I was working with a guy, another lieutenant, who was on way too long, you know, struggling physically, and, and I'd come into work, and I'd hear the guys bitching about him, because he was holding them back, and they knew he couldn't do the job right, and I'm like, one of these guys is saying this about me, you know, because I feel that way physically. And uh, and that's when I realized, like, I'm not going to let that happen. You know, I'm not, I mean, I could keep pushing. The doctors, you know, can't force you, but I'm going to stop pushing this. Because For me, it was almost not, like I'm, a sense of More of a liability sense of than relief, an asset, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That, You're becoming a liability, not an asset any longer. And you have to know that. You got to, like, be honest with yourself, right? Well, I, I remember, I you know, I had a, the injury with my, my leg. I was out a couple of years, had a couple of surgeries. I toyed with the idea of going back. But then I said, you know, it's a hot day and I'm, I'm kind of, I have these things that, like a little heart rhythm that acts up. And I went to see my doctor and uh, he said to me, now, because he's watched me through my 50s, saying like, you know, you're still in this place and be careful and God bless you and everything. And now he's saying, now you're going to be putting other guys at risk because you're going to say, it's 95 degrees today. They had a busy night last night. Keep your eye on Murph. Mm. I said, so I never had that. So that's that's sort of the relief. It's almost like I said, you know, you, when you're a kid and getting your ass kicked in a fight and somebody comes and breaks the fight up and you're kind of like, all right, where were you five minutes ago? <laughs> you know, it's, I kind of, I don't know that I could have ever circled a date on the calendar and left. That might have right. been tough no, for me. No. But... Uh, I don't miss it as much as I could because I'm 64. You know, it's just to think you can do this job with, you know, guys in their 30s and even guys in their 40s today, the way the jobs evolved. It's, uh, that's why I, I don't miss it. I don't miss it as much as I thought I would because, you know, I had, a, I had a really good run. You know, I met the best people, the very best people in the world. I said, and uh, I says, if I could do it all over again, I would. But I think we've all seen guys I'm sure you've all seen guys too that stay too long, and it says I, that would have been that would have been the worst thing. What advice would you offer to those who are getting ready to retire? Well, I always my friends when they've said that, like the first thing I always ask them, guys I know, is like, why are you retiring? Like I think, and sometimes guys are retiring for financial reasons because uh, for whatever. <laughs> maybe other jobs they have going or whatever their pension's going to look like, you know, like they're doing it for more money, like after 9-11, so, you know, overtime is so high, 
Like to think the classic is like, well, I got, you know, 800 hours overtime this year. That's never going to happen again. And I would say, do not retire for the money. If this is what you love to do, put that ahead of everything else. The money will always come somehow. Don't don't let go of your passion, you know. Um, and if they don't, uh, you know, have a choice because of health reasons or whatever, you know, I, I would say... Um, which I've done myself is there's a huge world out there and become a part of it besides the fire service you know you know I bought a house upstate I have 60 acres I have a farm uh, I make all kinds of things you know I make art um, I mean I do like a, I bought a kayak you know um, I get to spend a lot of time with my girlfriend like like my days are just as full as when I was working actually you know got into cooking um, reading you know there's like a big world out there you got to you don't forget the fire department, but you gotta you gotta move on at some point. Uh, easier said than done, I know. And just communicate, like to me, you know, it's like when I had something, a problem at work, whether it was with another guy as a boss or, or something screwed up at a fire I did, whatever. You know, I I had my 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 group of friends, my confidants, guys I trusted, right? I'm sure you did, and a lot of guys, for everybody does. And you just you gotta talk. You know, talk to people, get it off your chest, get some positive feedback. And that's what friends are for. They support you if you're, you know, having a hard time with something. So that's that's my advice, you know, like a little in, informal support group of well, guys retiring. Well, Dennis, Dennis is actually a perfect example for me because we clashed uh, once in a while when we were on the fire floor. I was in 120 or rescue too. You know, we would, you know, we would just be trying to occupy the same space at the same time every now and then. But Dennis is the guy that was slightly ahead of me in the pipeline as far as retiring. And then that's when we became friends. He said, because you kind of have to reach out to the guys when you retire or anything you do, you get promoted. You don't you don't really have that support group. So you kind of you have to seek it out. You have to find out. it. Yeah. Everything, everything, you, guys retiring. <laughs> everything you do in the fire department, you do it in a group from the day you get sworn in to the to everything you're doing it with guys. And it's funny, a friend of mine, he worked up near here, and I happened to be in headquarters one day, and he was walking out. He goes, Murph, he goes, I'm, I'm off the job. I'm like, well, Mike, what do you mean? He goes, um, I'm retired. He says, as of like, you know, 10 minutes ago. So, you know, he, he was a little older than me. He, he looked a little older. He was a little heavy. And I says, uh, he looked, he just looked old. And I says, man, you know, when you come on a job, it's like, you know, great fanfare and your family's there, your young men, you know, your, your, your family's there, your girlfriends, your parents. I says, when you retire, like you walk out the door by yourself as it was in, in the rain, you know. So we got together, we had lunch. But I remember thinking that day. We that when talked you, about this. Yeah, you, you retire, right. you have you to gotta reach out. You got to bring somebody. You got to reach out to uh, <laughs> The day you turn guys. your badge in and everything, bring someone with you. Because it hits you like a ton of bricks, man. I mean, when it's been your whole life for, for three-fifths of your life, right? Everything you do, eat, drink, sleep, and you just, it, everything you focus. And then it's like, it's so it's so quick. You know, you, you hand your badge and ID card to someone and they punch a hole in it. Yeah. You know, you don't even know who the hell they are. They couldn't give a shit if you put out a million fires. Yeah. You know, you're just another number in their <laughs> register on it. And you walk out of there by yourself through the revolving door. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> we, went out, we went out to Chicago last, last year, a guy, Patty... Patty Maloney, wonderful guy. He's the SOC chief from, from Chicago. He retired. So we knew he was coming, so we kind of planned that we, we, we flew out to see him. 
and they had a tremendous ceremony. He was in, he was a United States Marine. They had the Marines there. They had the cross rigs with flags, helicopter fly over. It was it was nice. It says me they they stamp retired across my face, and my, my car got booted on Flatbush Avenue. <laughs> I says yeah, why well, well, no 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 helicopter fly over. But you really do. You have you have to sort of seek it out. You seek out your support and groups. And you pay for your own party. Everything that you do on this job, everything that you do is is a support group. You know, from the very first day till the very last day, it's kind of like, uh, well, I, I reached out to Dennis, you know, because he retired before me. And I'm like, Dennis, I didn't get my check. Like, what do I do? Like, you know, you don't even you don't even know where to, really where to begin. Oh, so Pension seminars. But now when you retired and you didn't get your first paycheck, now you're like, I called, I called the firehouse, they don't know anything. I says, I call personnel, he says, well, you don't really work for us anymore. <laughs> so I, all right, well, what do I do? But you just, you reach out, you talk, and they says, yeah, yeah, your first check, you get a commissioner's check, they mail it out on payday, you'll get it next Monday, and then you go on direct deposit. But you have no idea, you know, because you have, you have no, no support group, and you're completely, you're completely by yourself. The whole fight upon, we always said, it's like a, it's like a the vacant building syndrome. Like if there's missing a step, there's a hole in the floor. The guy ahead of you tells you, what do you do? You turn around to the guy behind you, and you tell him. Retirement, anything you do in a fire department is the same. He said, you know, you don't know. You just you reach out to a guy who's a little bit ahead of you. And now since I retired, you know, the guys that are behind me, you know, they call you and and you tell them what to expect. But it's tough. It's just, you know, you do it. It's the first thing you do on a fight department. It's completely by yourself. And it's, it, it's, it could be the, t the toughest, toughest thing. I says, why don't they, like, let you retire in, like, uh, you know, there's, there was 15 guys on a department order when I retired. And why don't you bring you down here together? You know, you could have a staff chief or a rig or whatever and tell you drop dead, you know, good luck, whatever. <laughs> but when you go out the door, I says, my buddy, he says he was out the door by himself in it. That kind of hit me. That's yeah. so you reach out to your the guys that are uh, slightly ahead of you, and that's that's where you uh, you get it. So that's the advice I would give is just you got to find guys who are there just before you, and and reach out to them. And another another piece of uh, suggestion would be um, be prepared by uh, like for all the technical stuff, like the pension seminars. They it's a whole day affair, and there's so much information to know about your insurance, your health care, your I mean, your deferred comp and your, you know, your uh, longevity. Like this, it's a whole day thing. Like my head was spinning. I went three times, right, to to get like a grasp of what's going. There's so much paperwork. I mean, it was sort of insane how much involved it was. And I think that might be something to even do uh, a couple of years before retirement, and then right before retirement, just because there were things I found out that I could have done that would have been better for me. Um, like insurance and things like that that I didn't learn about into the pension seminar, like even options, uh, financial things that I didn't even know about. So I can't remember specifically what they were, but it would be good to, to get that information beforehand. Sure. For us, it's like we're old guys. You know, we, we had 35 years, 37 years. He says, you know, you're not, you're, not, you're not going out the door crying, you know. But the younger guys, I think the guys get hurt and go out early, those those guys are going to have a little more trouble. You know, the guys that yeah. I said, like, we didn't really leave much left. Like, I'm not, I'd be, right. I'd be kicked off the fire department in, in a year anyway. I'd be 65 and they'd throw you out. But the younger guys that go out that didn't get to do it, 
for a long time. Those are the guys that are going to have have more trouble. But we, you know, we, you know, we we we're not much more we can do unless no. you like Captain Morris, <laughs> right? Sixty-five. Yeah. Okay, we'll finish up and, and appropriately with a Captain Vidge question. Lieutenant Murphy, you had the privilege of being one of Captain John Vigiano's lieutenants in Ladder 176. You remained close to him in his post-retirement years, and you actively contributed to his outreach efforts with post-9-11 combat veterans, specifically wounded veterans. What did you learn about leadership service and resilience from Captain Vidge? Well, Vidge, is, he, was a, he was a unique guy for sure, but... Uh, he was probably, I would say, he was the most squared away guy that I ever worked with. But what Vidge did, Vidge, Vidge was a Marine. He had that mili military bearing. And, like, first and foremost was he took care of the fellas. You know, he says, if you, take, if you take care of the fellas, the fellas take care of everything else. So, you know, he was, he was unique. He lost his two sons in the, in the Trade Center. But he was one of those guys that he, he kind of he, – he took the ultimate uh, bad thing and he tried to make what he could could out of it. You know, he went down, he saw the wounded warriors a lot, you know, and um, when his when his sons died, he says he talked, I don't know, he was near 70 and he talked somebody into letting him go to Iraq to, uh, to thank the troops, you know. Definitely a unique guy, you know. He's sitting next to Gary Sinise on the airplane and, you know, Vidge, he's like, so what's your story, young man? No idea, no idea, no idea who he was, you know. <clears throat> but uh, just the way the way he responded when his two his two sons uh, died, and then he came out, and you know he he made amends with some people that he had had falling outs with, and then he just he was again he was the most squared away guy I ever saw. But I remember when when he he was just like a a completely courageous person. His, it says shake a tree there's 10 brave guys fall out but he i remember his courage when he when he told him that he was finished with his treatments and he was going home uh, for hospice and that was it like just the way he took i remember he took that he just he kind of just he was quiet for a moment he, there was a tear and then he just says it's time to be with my sons and he said what's going to happen to her like his thoughts were his wife and his thoughts were uh were his kids so i mean like that guy was uh he was something, something special. He's, guys, you know, if he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't like you, you know, that was almost like a bad report card. If Vidge don't like that guy, that guy ain't, that guy ain't a good guy. <laughs> so as we get older, there's a guy I, I golf with. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I didn't like the Vidge. I'm like, ah, Mike, that's, that's all right. Goes, well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why I didn't like the Vidge. So now you're getting older and now you just, you know, you just, the inside voice comes out. A lot more. <laughs> so I just says, I says, Mike, I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there. I'm gonna stop you right there, Mike. I'm not gonna hear it. Cause no, 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 no. I just wanted to say, Mike, I'm gonna stop you right there. I'm not gonna hear it. I says, I liked him. I like you. That's the end of it. He says, Yeah, I had to fall out with the guy. He says, what, what do you want? You know, it says the guy's the guy's dead. He lost his two sons. What what do you want? So. That was, uh, <laughs> you know, that was that was kind of funny. I was saying, no, I'm not going to listen to this you know, guy going on about the vids because if the vids didn't like you, that was kind of, uh, you know, like, oh, you must be a bad guy. <laughs> but so, remarkable resilience to yeah, to go, was, with, go through what he did. He did. He had cancer in '84, yeah, 
And then he had it again in the 90s. He came, he came back twice for it. But that guy, that guy lived and breathed the, the fire department. You have to respect that, man, that yeah. he came back after cancer. Half his neck was removed. Yeah. And he's back, back on a fire truck. <laughs> oh, the, the guys, he were, they were his kids. You know, Vidge, Vidge, uh, all of them. Paper boy but they were his kids. <laughs> like, you know, they they did things like, you know, you're, you'd get in trouble with your father for, like, one day, uh, what did they do? They, you remember, the, like, the, the, P, the P-47s with the face, you know, the teeth on the front of the fighter plane? So they they did that, and they put it on in the, in the grill of his car, you know, so the car's got the, uh, looks like the P-47. <laughs> going home what they didn't realize is is he blocked the air now his car overheated <laughs> you know so now he's, he's on the side of Long Island Expressway with his car overheated he gets out and he sees you know the <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, he was definitely a special guy even at the Trade Center one of his kids John Fowler I uh, was telling this story one night and uh, like I say if, if he didn't like you he didn't like you so at the site well, a chief came over to him and he was kind of crying and he went to hug John and John like wanted no part of the guy and he's like well, what's what's with you or something uh, and the guy's oh John John your, your kids your kids and John just snapped at him he goes I got a hundred kids in there like he goes compose yourself and go do your job it's like, <laughs> it's like he was uh, he was like 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 everybody's everybody's father but he did he did uh, you know uh did the most positive that he could given his circumstances and uh you know everybody the guys that worked with him loved him he took everybody's kids in you know all the all the guys in 176 and like that's what i said to to josh that's a that's a very nice part of being a captain you know you got if there's one guy a hundred guys called vich when their kids came on a job and says john would you would you take my son and and train him you know and if anybody that went to that company anybody that came out of 176 they were, uh, you know, the top of the, sure. top of the tree. Well done. So we've wrapped up the first part of our questions. Do we want to take a break or do we want to transition into? Do you have anything now? We get two questions we can knock out on this. Yeah, that'd be great. Sure. <clears throat> All right. Um, the first one is uh, the golden ticket to success in the fire department is experience. However, experience is hard to come by, especially in smaller fire departments. Equally challenging is the fire department literature can be hit or miss. Is there any particular fire department literature that has been useful reference to you throughout your career? Is this a New York City question? This, uh, this gentleman's not from New York City. Uh, yeah, I, I think everybody's literature is so specific between, you know, your tactics, procedures, equipment, you know, just the way you operate that you would, you really, it, you have to do sort of, I would say universally, like you start, you look about building construction, that's that's a good place. You know, like everybody reads the books about like collapse of burning buildings. I mean, that's that's the same thing. That would I think that would benefit anybody anywhere. You know, some of that, like Brannigan's or Vinnie Dunn's books, stuff like that. Procedurally, the fire department, New York City fire department, I don't, we haven't studied in a while. It's, they change, they change a lot and everything's very specific to different departments. So I would say something universal would be like just building construction, collapse of burning buildings, stuff like like Brannigan and uh, and Vinnie Dunn's book is sort of would be a universal book really for any fire department. You know, just to have a working knowledge of building construction and the way building 
buildings, you know, uh, actually act when they're on fire. I had a guy from um, <clears throat> upstate paid, small city paid department, ask me about some of that similar type of thing. And, and I said, well, do you have SOPs? You know, like how does they have truck companies? And they go, no, right? Like there was no positions on the truck. So I suggested that maybe they, they look at our, our books, uh, our training bulletins, tactics, I mean, not training bulletins, tactics and procedures, you know, lattice three, all that kind of stuff and then see if you can modify it um, to work for your manning issues, you know, in your department. I mean, because they had really the same buildings that we had. In, I mean, I've been to the city. You know, they had roof frames, they had brownstones and everything. I said, maybe you can modify it and start using these books and, you know, it's better than nothing. Good. Yeah. We have one more question. Um, say, uh, when personal contentment is found in hard work done well. How do you find this in between jobs and like in between opportunities when you have that opportunity to do hard work and do it well? Um, like combining time management on a day-to-day -day basis and emotional control. So I guess they're really kind of talking about, we all enjoy going to a fire, doing well, performing well, but when we don't have the opportunity to do that as often as we want to, kind of how do you find that personal contentment with work in those lag times? Well, I mean, really just going over training. your preparation, your training, you know, I mean, you have one fire, you can't, you can only go over it so many times, you know. We tell the same stories in the same order generally, you know, us old guys. But really just, if you're saying like in between like adrenaline rush fires, I said, they come when they come, you know, just the best thing you can do is just be ready for it, you know. I. Like I said, I, I was never, I was never like, I, I'm not an adrenaline junkie type person, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, you know, you like to be prepared and, and do the best you could, but I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, like waiting, waiting for the next fire, you know. Uh, you know, I know a number of guys on the job and not, who've actually moved to other cities because they wanted to be in a more active fire department. I bet there's guys in this class or this room, you know, and if you're really young and you're really into the job and it's not happening where you are, consider moving. Uh, I mean, it's, I could list a dozen guys to you on, on our job who I've worked with from Seattle, you know, outside of Seattle. I mean, I can think of two guys like from Baltimore. There's a guy who came up. Like, they're all over. So it's far-fetched, but better than nothing. You know what? If you don't like what's happening, do something to change it or accept it. I don't know. I would throw something in it about that downtime. What really makes us who we are is that extraordinary community we have, right? Um, Sebastian Junger talks about it in Tribe. We might be one fire department, but we're hundreds of different tribes. That you build not just that unit cohesion of esprit de corps. When you build those relationships, you take it to the place of love. I know it's a bad word that we don't like to use, but that's exactly what it is. When you work with these guys and gals over and over again, when you're spending time you know, in the firehouse, even doing meaning, meaningless things, right? you're building something. Like the best units are always those who've been together for the longest time. Do what you can to build community inside your firehouse. I'll go back to the line we always say in, in, in 58 and 26, get the television out of your kitchen. Right? Talk to each other. Spend that time because what the, what you spend there not only helps you to get through the downtimes, 
but to absorb the things that you face day to day. And maybe one of the biggest lessons that helped us get through 9-11, right? resiliency wasn't a word that existed. That really didn't show up until Jason Bresler showed up. Our kitchen tables got us through the unimaginable. Right? You couldn't talk to your family, couldn't talk to your wife, but when you sat in that t at that kitchen table with your brothers, you know what? For a moment, everything felt right. And there's nothing more than, than building that, that, that those relationships. Yep. Make a meal. Make the meal. Yeah. Amen. Then you can really talk because you're sort of focused on cooking and things come out. Yeah. Distracted a little. Oh, we have online right now. So. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing like a firehouse kitchen. Absolutely. And we make a meal, right? Last 15 years, between both companies, we've gone about more than 11,000 runs a year. Make two meals a day, no matter what. Right? Charlie Roberto and now Danny Sullivan and Brendan Delaney, who are now the captains, under no circumstances are you bringing in food from outside. That's part of, right? it's not because we like to eat. Right? It's because you are building something. It's invaluable. It's what separates us. Right? There's no entity on the planet that has the unit cohesion that we do. It's what separates us. And that's why it's so hard to retire because you'll never get that again. Mm, no, it's, we said that when I was still working, that twice a day, especially the double houses, I worked in a, I recovered in 249 for uh, four months. It was a triple house. It's just, it's just, it's like non, nonstop laughing. You know, it's just uh, every day, twice a day, you sit down with, between, you know, a double house, you know, 12 and 17 guys uh, to have a meal. Now, like, I, I'm, I might not particularly like this guy, you know, and I wouldn't go out to dinner with him, but, you know, you sit there with him, and it's, uh, you know, you get to know everybody. And if you don't believe it when you retire, try to get 10 guys out to dinner on any particular night. It doesn't happen. You can't, you, you can't do it. I used to, my, my 24 pie says, George, why don't you come? Oh, I can't, I can't. Like, you came in here twice a week for the last 30 years. Now, now I can't. But... It's just it's, you can't do it. You, know, you can't get you can't get people together like you do when you're in the firehouse. Uh, you know, twice a day, every day. I watched a show a number of years ago. It was like on uh, like a stress debriefing for EMS people, and we said it was it's the firehouse kitchen. They brought in you know ten or twelve guys. They sat around a, a kitchen table with a cup of coffee and they you know told their stories that they didn't have to tell. You know, the one guy, some cops, they ride by themselves, you know, but in the fire department, you go to a fire where you have a loss of life and 20 minutes later, somebody's busting your balls for the meatloaf, you know, and it's just, it's not callous, but it's just the way you kind of take things in stride, move on, and, and you kind of, you go through these things together. It's like, there's nothing, they always said, if you could bottle a firehouse kitchen, it would be, uh, it would be the best thing. Yep. And sometimes you just, you kind of have to seek it out, you know, if you don't have a big group, you know, like I say, when you're retired, you know, you have to sort of seek out your own groups. Although Mike Alexander from 50 Engine has a terrific idea. He wants to buy a building and then charge guys to come two days a week. So it'd be like a firehouse, <laughs> you'd make a meal. I mean, your wife would pay just to get you out of the house. It's a fantastic idea. <laughs> if we're good, then uh, don't continue the conversation with the board because it's right. Okay. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Okay, now I'll have that. Now I'll have that beer. Now I'll have that beer. Just one.
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me too. Thanks for tuning in to the second and final installment of our first Leadership Under Fire virtual fireside chat. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share it. If you're interested in Leadership Under Fire events and publications, go to leadershipunderfire.com and join our newsletters. Be well. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.